podcast, Harold Jarkey talks about knowledge mastery and the future of work. So stay tuned. So welcome everyone to Jobs of Future podcast. Today we have with us Harold Jarkey and he is an expert uh, behind the personal knowledge mastery model of Seek, Sense and Share focused on helping individuals, teams, network uh, continuously learn the approaches in use uh, in many organizations including the NHS, Domino's Pizza, Bangor University. Harold helps organizations learn, work and innovate in the network era. He has been described as a keen subversion, sub, subversive of the last century's management and educational models. People have connected with Harold uh, through his blog, uh, jarkey.com, and uh, I'll post the link on the description as well, and professional services. For innovative ideas on leadership, social business, collaborative work, he also distills heady topics like complexity theory into practical advice, a graduate of the Royal Military College, Harold served over 20 years uh, in the Canadian forces in leadership and training roles. Harold has held senior position at Center of Learning Technologies and Ecom Inc. Uh, he is the co-author of the Working Smarter Fieldbook with his colleagues at the Internet Time Alliance. His preferred workplace is on his bicycle uh, where he gets his best ideas. That's pretty awesome. So, Harold, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Michelle. It's great to be here. Interesting. I think, so what I found really fascinating about your background, I think uh, reading this brief synopsis, some, most of them up, all the keywords squished together that is actually impacting the future of work. So why don't you walk us through your journey? Like what brought you to this, uh, this field? Yeah, so um, as you mentioned, I uh, spent uh, over 20 years in the military. So I uh, joined the Army when I was very young. I was 18 years old. I went to military college. I started as an infantry officer. And uh, then, uh, as, uh, as my wife says, I bore easily. So I spent about 10 years in the infantry. I transferred into the medical corps. I became a hospital administrator. And, uh, and later, um, in my last five years in the military, I transferred and I became a training specialist, <clears throat> actually working for the Air Force. And that was sort of, that was my major pivot, I, I would say, that, that, that I made is that, so this would have been in the early 1990s. Uh, I had transferred into uh, the, uh, the training branch and I was responsible for developing helicopter training. And so training for um, uh, mechanics, for the uh, pilots, for flight engineers. And uh, part of my job was incorporating the flight simulator into, uh, mm -hmm. into how do we use it. And at that time, computer-based training was coming, up, coming along. Um, so I actually went back to school. I started working on my master's in education because here and now I'm working mm -hmm. in the learning training field. And I got hit uh, sort of like by a bolt of lightning when I saw my first web page. <laughs> so I saw this web page and I, I took my first computer course in um, uh, programming in 1978 in Fortran. And I failed the course, but the prof passed me with a promise that I would never take another computer course again, which I haven't. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, and, and so I stayed away from computers. I had no interest in information technology or anything like that. But when I saw this, um, uh, this web page, uh, suddenly computers made sense to me. It, they were about mm -hmm. connecting people. And I just went, wow, this is incredible. And uh, I went back to school, did a master's in education, looked at how people learn in the information technology workplace, how the machines were, uh, were influencing them. I um, read all the works of Marshall McLuhan. He's the... Mm. Uh, uh, you know, famous uh, uh, Canadian who coined the term "the medium is the message," the global village, and I still use uh, McLuhan's uh, work in, in, in my own work now. Twenty years later, I l decided to leave the military because uh, the web was heating up, and mm. where I live here in New Brunswick, there is a big marketing campaign going on for the information, uh, the information highway. And I wound up at this place called the Center for Learning Technologies, which is a pretty cool place. Um, it was co-located with the university. And we, um, we were a small team, but we, we did really 
kind of bleeding edge stuff because we did stuff that the private sector didn't want to do. So we're doing the knowledge management performance, uh, electronic performance support systems. Uh, we're a little bit around e-learning, but but uh, but not too much around on, on the courses and a lot around uh, online communities. And this is using early technologies like like Lotus Notes. <laughs> you know, this was uh, before you know the kinds of things that we see uh, now, like Slack and and uh, and Yammer and tools like that. So I really got uh, deep into uh, uh, the the whole notion of um, uh, virtual work, uh, virtual communication, what they called computer uh, assisted collaborative work, those kinds of things. Um, I worked there for three years, but they, uh, the university decided to shut us down because we weren't turning a huge profit. They thought that we were going to mm. be uh, making the millions of dollars and, uh, <laughs> after, after existing only for four years. So anyway, they shut it down. I wound up working for an e-learning company that was making a, a, an LMS. I was, uh, I was in charge of professional services for that. And I uh, spent a couple of years with them. And we came under new ownership, and the first thing they did was fire me. And uh, it's okay. They went bankrupt a few years, a few months later. So I'm still here 15 years later. So, aha. <laughs> and um, uh, so 15 years, I hear, you know, I, I am a, as a freelancer. And, uh, you know, most of it, I see, you know, if you're interested in it, is that I started my blog 14 and a half years ago. Mm. And so there's 14 plus years of uh, my thoughts and things about, you know, kind of where I've been and, 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 and where I, I've gone on that. But, uh, and, you know, now, it, and as I tell people, um, you know, is that my blog gave me everything. So when I mm. got fired from this company, I had a very small network uh, here in Atlantic Canada, which, as you know, is kind of the middle of nowhere. <laughs> you probably saw more moose than people when you <laughs> when you visited here. And, uh, you know, there are no major businesses here or anything like that. And now, you know, if you take a look at, uh, you know, where I'm working is my, um, I just got, I got back from Portugal last month where I was speaking at a, um, at a recruiting, a tech recruiting conference. Um, I'd spoken uh, with, a, for that company uh, before this year in Berlin. I'm off to Helsinki uh, in, in, in October uh, doing some speaking in, in Oslo as well. And really, the the main reason that people find out about me or have learned about me or I've ha I've done this, I've, I'm able to connect is through the blog. So mm -hmm. if the blog had not existed, if the, uh, I would not have been able to do this. I mean, again, is it I'm really in a very different? Uh, uh, I mean, th th there's nobody in my community who knows what I'm doing, and you know, for me, a close client would be going down to Boston and seeing you, and that's what mm -hmm. 600 miles, about but a thousand kilometers away. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's, uh, so yeah. So, so again, yeah, my blog gave me everything and then I've done a few other things too. <laughs> Beautiful. And, and where do you spend your time nowadays? Like, what do you do now? So right now is that, uh, to mention is that I'm a keynote speaker talking about future of work around, uh, competencies for in a, in, in a network world. So I'm very interested. And you know, what I say is that uh, work is learning and learning is the work. And that I think is the big shift is that you don't just, you don't go to school and then stop learning and then do your work. Is that more and more is that just to stay current is that we have to integrate learning into our workflow. And uh, it's not, that doesn't mean, you know, taking an e-learning course once a week or something like that. It's how do I learn socially? How do I connect with other people? How am I going to keep pushing um, at uh, the the edge of my professional ability, and the people who do that really well are are programmers, people who code, right? Because you can't go to school to learn the latest coding because they haven't figured that stuff out yet, right? So mm. you, you're connecting through uh, different um, uh, professional organizations, communities of practice. You're putting your code out there so other people can look at it. And I think more and more uh, professions are going to move that way. We're going to have to uh, uh, learn at, learn as we work. So I speak on that. I run workshops, both face-to-face -face workshops and online workshops around a framework that I've developed. You mentioned it in the intro on personal knowledge mastery. Mm. We can go into depth a little bit about that uh, later if you want to. And then I also do my writing. Uh, I mentioned uh, the old book, um, the Working Smarter Field book mm. that I, we wrote with my Internet Time Alliance colleagues. Um, and uh, I, I also have my own books that are now called the Perpetual Beta Series. And uh, they, I have five volumes of that out, and it's one of those. It's the series that will never end. <laughs> it's, it's in perpetual beta, so I pull out. Uh, pull, I, so I try to, I try to put out a volume once a year, 
Hmm. And uh, there are around 50 to 75 pages looking at changing nature of leadership, hmm. changing nature of workplace learning, uh, uh, and some of the big issues. One that I sort of started looking at just in the last year was uh, gender balance hmm. and was about uh, the retrieval that we're seeing in the connected world of more what are, have traditionally been seen as, seen as feminine leadership attributes. And that, uh, and that the more traditional male attributes seem to have less value in this type of a, in, in a networked world where really you're influencing people more through your reputation than your positional power. And, uh, and it seems that women have been much better at influencing that way than men have. So again, what we saw traditionally as, fe as feminine attribute attributes now are ones that are required pretty well everywhere. We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Interesting. Fascinating story, by the way. And I think um, uh, it's inspiring to see what all you have accomplished through blogs. And I think it's it, it's it's... It's massive. I think blogging is the word that I think is is massively underappreciated because it's it's actually making a lot of um, uh, interesting conversation happen and that wouldn't wouldn't have happened otherwise. So uh, I do appreciate that. So let's 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 talk about your um, your journey when it comes to how the workplace has evolved. Like from from you have a good vantage point on you have been consulting, you have been watching, uh, you were acting as a watchdog on. What's happening in the industry? You are actually part of conversation when it comes to conferences talking about future of work. So, what what is what is your vantage point on what how the work has evolved over the last couple of decades? If you, if you can share um, and couple of last couple of years, you can uh, uh, the way it's it's expanding. So, what's what's your thought on that? Well, it's uh, if you uh, the famous uh, William uh, Gibson quote where he says the future is already here. Mm. It's just very unevenly. Uh, dispersed right and so i think that uh the big changes we really haven't seen yet um so i am very interested in, in in companies that uh that you know that the, the sort of made this leap and it seems that it's the same ones that keep getting dragged out all the time people talk about google or wl gore associates and things like that um but there are some interesting ones now like Burtzorg, which is a, a b-u-u-r-t-z-o-r-g it's a dutch nursing care company and uh, they have a they have really pushed out uh responsibility and decision making to these groups of about 10 nurses they, they work in these uh, i think 12 is, is the largest team size and they can make all their decisions pretty well themselves including budget and training and and and, and the headquarters is very very small i think it's 50 people for a seven or eight thousand person organization um so uh th there are interesting signs about uh where the change is but it really um it's really still small and sparse and i think that uh, you know generally what we're seeing happen is that uh, we're automating any work that can be automated uh, there's uh, ben hammersley who was an advisor to the uk uh, prime minister several years ago said that you know if any process that can be put into a flowchart is going to get automated mm. you know, by software by machines or something like that so if you can describe your job mm. then it's probably going to mm. go away <laughs> so I can't I can't describe my job so I guess it'll never go away <laughs> and um, so I so 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 automation is the big driving force and and we see that because the way that our bookkeeping uh, principles work is that if I buy a piece of machinery right I can depreciate the value if I hire a person that's that's a cost and it stays a cost mm. every year right so just from the way that we account for things is that we account for capital differently than we account for humans Hmm. Uh, even though we may call it human capital, we don't we don't treat it that way. Hmm. So, so any of that sort of simple or even complicated work is getting automated. And so, if you look at well, what's left for people is hmm. that it's the stuff that machines can't do. And what can't machines do very well? Machines are not very creative. Machines are not very empathetic. Machines don't have the same pattern recognition that we have. Right? Machines aren't social. Right? That's which is what we are. Um, so those kinds of skills are the things. So, so, so I think that where the future is going is people working with machines. I mean, mm. look at this. I mean, the technology that we're using right here. I remember when this stuff cost a hundred thousand mm. dollars. 
right? And I'm sure that you're not paying $100,000 to use this platform. Uh, so so we're, it's, it's that machine augmented world right, in most areas. There are some areas that will never be machine augmented. I don't think they're ever going to design a machine that does, um, uh, um, uh, uh, for, that'll replace hairdressers, right? Because that's a high touch, very unique type of thing. And it would cost too much to, 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 to again, for several years, maybe in, in the far future it will be. Um, and I, but I think that for a lot of people, particularly traditional white collar people, is that you're going to be working with machines, with algorithms, but the value that you're going to be uh, providing is in working with humans, working socially, working in social networks, communities of practice, in working in flash teams. And that's the other thing I think that we're seeing is that the, um, um, the period of time that a team is together or a group is together is going to be less and less. And a lot of people I know when they work is that they're, they're on four or five different teams. Right. And then, so you're in working on that. So, so, so the, the work is, is people getting together, having to be really quickly get up to speed, work well together, then disperse and work in another group and disperse and work in another group. So your long-term connections are actually your social network. Mm. Right? Your short-term uh, connections, in a lot of cases, are the people that you, that, that you work with because we're seeing the half-life of companies decreasing over time. And the half-life of, of teams and groups and departments as well as people try to keep up to these, you know, changes and, and change is going to happen faster because more and more of the value that we're creating is intangible. And those intangible assets can change, you know, in a heartbeat. Interesting. I, so I definitely want your perspective on, on one um, perspective that I have uh, coming from the data science end. So how we are seeing so-called the landscape of work shifting is so it's all about intelligence right so now there's a, there's a machine intelligence there's a human intelligence and many mm -hmm. times we get confused between hey which is machine which is human and and even our definition of intelligence is evolving as machines are evolving and 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 machine can do certain things so we can say okay machine you are you can do certain things very well humans you can do certain things and and what and whatnot now uh if if you if you're at a if you're at a business level and and you're looking at your balance sheet, so and then we see a lot from our interaction with with business folks that many times the numbers confuse people. So they say, okay, too much machine is good, too less humans are humans. As you rightly said, every human is a cost center to some degree. We we have our own nuances. We have to sleep. We have to eat. All that fun stuff that happens with us. And on the other side, there's a machine uh, that's happening. Now. Um, it's very easy to automate or put your entire competitive edge on automation saying, okay, this is where the machine is going. Numbers looks amazing. Let's keep on progressing. But if you, if you look at business culture and why the business exists for hundreds of years, it's not because the processes that can automate quickly, but because of the core competency or the art in, in, in their business. Now, if you're on the HR end of, of this conversation, you are the executioner, uh, of this strategy of hey more people less people whatever right so what's what is your thought around how how technology is disrupting this this work landscape and what's the role of this hr uh, in in as as we are progressing in this hyper technologically connected uh, world we'll resume after a short break this part of the podcast is brought to you by first friday fair fastest ai powered way to find your next opportunity check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Well, I think that the HR, the real function of HR is only one, and that's to keep the CEO out of jail. Um, <laughs> and uh, it, so it's compliance oriented. Uh, um, and, and I think that history has shown that. And, and I, I don't think that HR per se is, is, is really going to have a long lifespan in mm. Uh, I, I think that it really is a, it, it's a, it, as we automate things that can be automated, right, is that, well, we don't need to have, you know, the, the rules can go into the machines. Where there's no rules, then that suddenly is that we now have a barely repeatable process. We have a unique process. We have something creative. And, um, uh, and, and in those kinds of cases is that it's kind of like when you, call a company up, right? It's like you want to be feel that you that your your problem in your case is special. It's not mm. 
Okay. Okay. We have three different types of problems that we're that we're solving. You say, but I don't fit into one of your problems. You know,、mm-hmm. I want to be treated. So if you have a standard process to 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 address people, then they don't feel special anymore. And really, what you do is you erode trust,、mm. right? And so, and I think that that's so. As soon as you start adding、uh, those、uh, standardized processes, is that what you're saying is that we don't trust you? We have a process for this, right? No,、mm. you say no. I want. I mean, it's like families. Families don't have, most, you know, at least partially functioning families don't have a series of、uh, rules, rule books, and stuff like that. They have some general principles, right? But then they deal with things on a one-to-one basis, and as the children grow up, and things things change, and it's and, it, and it's flexible. And I think that that's what you need、uh, in, in in terms of work is that you need to be focus the human on the human side. But that means that you're also de- but that that that's fuzzy, that's soft, that's you know that's non-codified. Mm. Um, but you know, in, I mean, there's a really good stuff about automation. You know, first of all, is that you know machines are doing work that people had to do before that was boring. I mean,、mm. you know, we don't you don't have to you know work on a shovel all day all day long or anything like that. You don't have to work in in the depths of the mines anymore because you've got machines doing it. You've got you know operators you know running them from the surface, and the machines are going down below. So you know that's all really that's all really good stuff. But、mm. I also think that that, that as we continue to to Automate that is that the 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 thing, but, but you know, human creativity is unlimited,、hmm. right? So so it's not it's not like we're going to run out of cre. Oh, oh sorry, we've used up our creative capital.、Mm. We can't do any more than that.、Mm. So so I think that uh, uh, you know where we want to be focused on is helping everybody be creative, and you can't do that in standardized curriculum. You can't do that with a standardized job. I think that the job itself is going to go. The way the dinosaur too, because when you think about jobs, how many people had jobs two hundred years ago?、Mm. Not many, right? The military, you know, you know, the church, you know, few other organizations, you know. But for the most part, people had vocations, they had skills, and they did whatever they could do in different in, in, in different areas. Then we created the standardized job, which I think is an anomaly. And now I think we're going, we're moving away from the standardized job into individuals with relationships. Interesting, and I think one thing that、um, that there was fascinating in, in in your response was I think the need for HR、uh, going forward, right? So to give you some some background, so we we have a solution called Tau dot AI, and this is primarily to、um, help people find jobs, right? It's as simple as that. It's an AI, right? So typically, so when we started this project, we thought, okay, AI actually can do a good job in in sort of helping. Because it's it's numbers, it's all data, it's all kind of fun stuff, right? And then we start realizing that AI, the diversity is problem is very real with even with AI, right? AI is beautiful at sort of okay, I know the trends, so the next one should follow the trend. And then instantly we realize that we are recommending people which are very very obvious、uh, solutions. And the very aspect of and you pointed beautifully that creativity, right? That human creativity. If I if I give you like seventy people from the same background, same culture, same everything, because previous sixty nine were hired that ways, then the creativity bank is decreasing because diversity play an an important role in that, right? So then we started realizing, okay, now we see the HR's problem, right? So because now it's very easy to say, hey, HR could be、uh, could be automated or outsourced, but on the other side. Some of the nuances that we don't appreciate today, like, like diversity and 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 sort of on all these loopholes, we need some creative folks on HR side as well to figure out, hey, what interesting blend we should bring in the workforce. So, what's your thought on that? No, I I, I agree. I think that、uh, using AI to do things that are repeatable is wonderful, and I think that as we If if we're doing unique work or barely repeatable process, so barely repeatable processes, you know,、um, uh, could be a patient coming in and trying to figure out well, somebody's sick or whatever. You got there's a whole bunch of things that you have to do, and you can't do the same thing each time because, of course, you've got so many different variables. But within that barely repeatable process, there are probably sub processes in there. It's kind of like okay, what if you have to get the crash cart? There's a way to get the crash cart, and there's there's rules and things that can be inside that. So I think that sort of if you're looking at it from how we look at work, is、mm-hmm. that we give people the flexibility to deal with complex problems, and there you know there there are companies and 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 processes that do that where they'll do something like if oh 
well, we have a problem, a customer is called and we can't deal with this problem. What do they do? They swarm the problem. So they mm. push a button. Anybody who's available, get in on this call and listen and let's see what we can do to, uh, to, uh, to address this. When that problem is solved, right, then they, they, they have ways in which they take a look. Okay, what did we do? How do we do that? Can we do this again? Did we learn anything from this? And we can get that in there. And maybe there's a part of that, of that solution then that becomes a, a, a repeatable process. Okay, well, we've got, a, we've got a thing for that. And I think that a lot of people want to have some repeatable process. Like, I don't want to have to explain my relationship mm. with the bank when I go to an ATM to withdraw money. I just want to withdraw the money and mm. get, have it over and done with, right? It's kind of like if you want to buy something from Amazon, mm. they make it as simple as possible, right? One click, bang, it's, it's done. And mm. I think that we want to have that so that we can then free up our time for the, for the creative stuff. Um, it's like um, when we think about work is that, I mean, if, if, you can if you can create a job description, really what you're talking about is the repeatable stuff. Mm. And most of that stuff is then going to be done by AI machines or whatever. So we're actually looking at it the wrong way. What we want to do is we want to have a relationship with an individual who, who's able to grow and learn, become part of the company, add to the company. Um, my, um, uh, uh, my, my, my last, one of my business partners, Jay Cross, who, who died about three years ago, he had a great explanation. He says, you take a look at any producing job and the traditional worker, and they're, they're at the job, and what do they do? They go produce, 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 produce. Mm. Basically, you, you're doing stuff, mm. right? He said, now you take a look at a creative knowledge worker, and what do they do all day long? Nothing, nothing, mm. nothing, mm. nothing, 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 nothing. Brilliant fl uh, flash of, of, of insight, nothing, mm. nothing, 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 mm. right? So work looks completely different. So, I mean, if I you know, came up with the idea of the iPhone, mm. right? But, but it's kind of like, well, Harold, you've only mm. got one idea. Yeah, but that, mm. look at the value of that idea. Mm. Whereas we're measuring, you say, well, you did nothing for the other eight years or 10 years that you were with, with Apple. Well, was it, you know, we, we measure, uh, we, actually, we don't measure creativity because we don't mm. know how to do it. And, and I think that we can get the inspiration. We, we should take a look at how artists learn and how they work and what they do. Right. So a lot of times they go for walks or they go mm. out and, you know, they, 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 they move locations and things like that because it, because it, to get inspiration and they realize what they, they're uh, no, they're also honing their skills and they're getting better at what they're doing. It's like me as a blogger, right? I write regularly because it makes me a better writer. So again, it's finding that balance, but we have to look at work and the results very differently. I mean, we still pay a lot of people by the hour. Interesting. Right? No, I think that's that's fascinating, and and, and what I noted, um, what I was thinking when you when you were uh, saying that, you have seen it really well. You have been blogging, you have been consulting, you have been talking businesses, and you have somehow figured out your niche, right? But if 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 you look on uh, a typical job, right, I do seventeen things. Out of that, maybe two are really I do really really well, and rest um, fifteen are pretty lousy, and then still I paid for whatever, right? And, and and I think I was talking to one of the Fortune uh, 100's uh, chief HR officer, and he put it best. He said, "Vishal, future would not demand more chefs. Future future would demand souppreneurs and sandwichpreneurs, right? So you need very very specific folks who can do specific things really well, and they'll be valued a lot more on sort of that perspective. What is hmm. your take on on the future of work? Like, how would the workers um, see where the future is heading?" Well, if you think that, okay, if okay, you don't have to agree with, with me on this mm -hmm. one because it is happening, is that the half-life of companies is decreasing. The, mm -hmm. the, the, the S&P has been mapping this True. for years, right? And so, so we know that company life, organizational life is getting shorter. Mm -hmm. I think that you, the, another inference or observation that I've made is that, um, uh, is it, is it teams, groups, and companies are together for shorter periods of time. Mm. Right? Is it, they get there? Mm. Is it, it that, that the long-term groups don't seem to be uh, a thing mm. much anymore? People come, people go. The group changes. It gets reorganized. The company gets bought or sold or or, or, or whatever it is. So that if you um, uh, if, if if you look at that, is that well, what kind of people do we need? We don't need specialists. Mm. We need actually what uh, friends of mine um, they wrote a book. Um, uh, so it was. Um, uh, Richard Martin and uh, Kenneth Mickelson wrote a book called The Neo-Generalist. Hmm. And, 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 and it's interesting because a lot of people have identified with that notion of neo-generalist. And a neo-generalist is 
is not a generalist. It's someone who actually has deep spe- spe- uh, specialties mm. in one or, or usually in several areas and also has a broad understanding in a wide variety of areas. It's almost like the new Renaissance man. Mm. It's a, that's what the neo-generalist is. And I think that that, I think more and more people, the, the people you want in the company are people who are neo-generalists. Yes, okay, somebody who can code, but also someone who has some has strong social skills, right? Which, of course, what, what, that's what we see is that, you know, now I want somebody who can write in what the latest coding language is, but they also have to be able to sell this uh, idea to the client. That's kind of like, well, I'm, I'm a coder. I'm going to stay in the basement. <laughs> I'm not going to talk to anybody. Um, so, 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 so. I think that we need people with 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 deep skills and with broad skills, and I think that the big ones are going to be the what are traditionally seen as the soft skills. So things like being able to communicate, being able to understand people, empathize with them, and and, and we're seeing that. That's what uh, LinkedIn did a survey on that recently. Mm. You know, what skills are people looking for? There are a lot of these what they call soft skills, mm. and those soft skills are the hard skills to develop. Mm. In a lot of cases, we don't do we do very little. To actually help develop those uh, uh, those types of skills, either either in education programs or or at work. Interesting. And if if I'm in HR and I'm trying to sort of conceptualize um, this session, how would I look at um, how, that? How would I ensure that my folks are learned and developed for this new age of um, enterprise formations? Like, what would you suggest? What would you? We'll resume after a short break. This part of the podcast is brought to you by First Friday Fair, fastest AI-powered way to find your next opportunity. Check out the website firstfridayfair.tao.ai and find your next dream job. Let's get back to the podcast. Um, yeah, I, I, I usually work on two things with companies. One is the individual skills. So it's helping people. That's where the personal knowledge mastery framework came about. I developed it for myself. And it was how do I take control of my learning how do I connect with others? How do I uh, engage in communities and in networks and use social media particularly to, to help me do that because I'm, I'm, I'm removed from, mm. I mean, you're never going to have enough uh, face-to-face contacts uh, mm. uh, to really meet all your needs. But there are, you know, that's why you and I are talking, right? We're, mm. we're connecting we're mm. connecting at a distance. So, so the, the individuals having the skills. The second one is, the remo- in most cases, it's removing barriers. It's, it's having the system so that people can seek, sense, and share. So that, uh, uh, so that uh, simple th- things like having an enterprise social network mm. uh, so that anybody can sort of connect with anybody else. That removing that barrier of having to ask permission to be able to talk to somebody else. Yeah. Those can- and there's other barriers like that, performance management systems that are measuring the wrong thing. I mean, W. Edwards Deming, you know, 40 years ago said performance management is one of the one of the seven deadly sins of ma- or performance measurement. Mm-hmm. The annual yeah. performance review is a you know was one of the deadly sins because we're actually measuring the wrong thing. We, because mm-hmm. why are we why are we measuring individuals when we should be looking at group and company performance? Because we are all dependent upon the other people that we're working with, right? I mean, no one it's not one person. I mean, and we have that false sense about, you know, let's change the CEO and that will change the whole system when really we should just change the system so anybody mm. can do a good job as CEO. That's a, that's a good point. So let's, let's talk briefly about um, your, your, your mastery model. I think uh, I, I was reading about personal knowledge mastery model. Like if you can walk us through what, what exactly is that? Okay, so it started um, out of necessity. So I, I, I started uh, blogging. And so here I am in Sackville, New Brunswick, middle of nowhere, no work, young family. And uh, I felt, okay, I've got to stay current. I have to stay current in my field. I have to uh, uh, see what's going on. And I didn't have the money to go fly to Boston and uh, go in some big tech conference or something like that. So I thought, well, I've got the web. It's free. Mm. And how do I connect with other people who are going to help me learn? And so the PKM, which comes uh, comes from personal knowledge management, um, mm. I didn't invent this. Um, I changed it to mastery uh, several, several years ago because I really think it's more of a discipline than a management mm. system. Mm. And uh, really, what it is, uh, so, so people like Lily Efimova, uh, she was she did her doctoral thesis looking at how um, how people use blogs to share knowledge. Mm. And uh, so that was the whole thing about okay, well. If I want to connect to people outside, how do I do that? Well, 
no one's going to talk to you if you don't put yourself out there first. So mm. the blogging was the was the first tool that I really started using. And then I started looking at other tools. And over the years, I wrote about it. And so, and, and for me, it was just like, it was just a thing like on the side, like a side of desk. It wasn't even a project. It was more like me trying to mm. figure out how the heck I'm going to be a viable consultant, right? Mm. And luckily, I, I, you know, I had, I had regional work. I was mostly working in Canada at the time. And uh, five, six years into me writing about this, I was contacted by Domino's Pizza. Mm. And uh, uh, the, the fellow in charge of leadership training said, I like your PKM model. He said, can we incorporate this into our leadership training program? I said, that sounds cool. So I went to Ann Arbor, Michigan and uh, met with them and we took a look at it and worked with their IT people and created a framework uh, for their leadership training for their franchisee, uh, franchise owners. And, uh, and, there, and then it sort of built up over time. Now there's like a dozen universities that use it. Um, uh, only one of them paid me for it. The rest just sort of take what I, what I publish for free. So I'm not making any money off of that. Uh, and, but then I've, I have worked with several companies who have, who have tried to implement it uh, into their own framework. The most recent one was with Carlsberg uh, in their leadership uh, uh, training. Um, and that's really where PKM fits in well is with leadership because I don't think in this day and age you can be a leader if you're not a learner. And uh, yeah, and uh, we wrote a we wrote an article out in Harvard Business uh, a couple of years ago saying you know the best leaders are constant learners. So mm-hmm. how do you do that? And really, what PKM is is a framework to give you some some common terms, some common concepts, and then you develop your own. There's no there's no methodology. It's not a lockstep method. Everybody practices it, it in different ways. And the seek sense share is just sort of like the the outer layer of it. So you have to seek out diverse people, diverse opinions, diverse places for information. You have to find some way of making sense of it. So blogging is a big part of my sense-making uh, process, but for other people, it's not blogging. It's something else. Mm. And then and then the notion of d- making things available so that you can share them. And uh, and that's why that's where the blog is good because we can talk about something. You can say, hey, do, uh, you know, uh, can you recommend a good book? I can say, yeah. Mm. Oh, by the way, I wrote a review on it. Let me just mm. – let me just – give you the link to the review i don't know when someone's going to be interested in that book but because i've got it ready to share that makes it much easier and it also reduces my cognitive load i don't mm. have to find it i can search it easily and things like that so so that's where and, and I, i'm finding in the last few years is that the people who take my workshops you know they, they come back and they say yeah this is the course pkm is the core skill skill set in a in a knowledge creative economy of course it is because you have to find mm. some way to learn i'm not saying that my framework is the only one but it is a framework that again has been now over 10 years in in practice and is constantly being modified interesting and if, if you can walk briefly about that what the frame so i i i think i i read seek sense and share so what what's that uh, if you can give me a sort of a quick glimpse of what the framework is yeah, so seek sense share is the it is the it, and that came through some client work uh, where I'd, I'd had a eight step model before and I'd worked on the three and there's alliteration people remember it right and that that's mm. that's the big thing seek sense share um, so and that you, that that then helps you take a look and say okay well um, like some of the exercises that I do people's like how do you examine your network where do you get information mm. from if you have to make a decision who do you go to let's take a look at who they are if you have to do this type of thing or you have to find out about this area where do you go to and you take a look at it and you can take a and then you can take a look at am i seeking from a diverse source and mm-hmm. diversity is in the eye of the beholder diversity depends upon it could be i what i really need is gender diversity or actually what i need is a diversity of expertise or perhaps a diversity of opinions uh, di- diversity of experience diversity in age uh, culture company industry that kind of thing so um so just being cognizant of the fact that, you know, I am influenced by where I get my information from and who I talk to. We, and we know that. We know that our social networks determine whether or not, are a very strong determinant in whether or not we are um, obese. The, the, mm-hmm. Is that you take a look at uh, obesity and you take a look at people's social networks, you can see that there's direct uh, impact. Um, uh, Christakis and Fowler did work on that, uh, published, I think they actually were out of mm-hmm. Boston. Um, uh, on, on, on social networks and, and the influence of, of social networks on our lives. So if we are who we connect with, then we should be looking at who are we connecting with? Now they say, if you really want to change, you want to do something better, mm-hmm. is hang out with people who exhibit the traits of, that you want to have. If you want to be smart, hang out with smart people. 
Um, and so, this, again, that, so that's part of the seeking, is, is seeking diversity in all things, and, and in some cases limiting it, too, and saying, yeah, yeah, I don't need diversity in this, I don't really care, right? We only have so much time. The sense-making, that's the tough one, is that what do I do to put some, to make sense of all the things that happen in my life? Uh, on a day-to-day, a week-to-week basis, something like that. So, so some people, it's like um, uh, one example is uh, this uh, woman who uh, she drives home every day. She, so she's a commuter, and uh, she talks to herself on the way on the way back about what what she learned and what she did. You know, that, that's a cool thing. Uh, your pod, your, well, your podcasting actually is one thing that you're doing here. Is it, what, what are you doing in terms of diversity? You, I presume, you're doing this for your own learning as well. Mm-hmm. Right? So, and so the podcasting is a is a, is a sense making thing. There's probably more sense making in producing a podcast than there is in listening to one. The only reason that people are going to share with me is it, it, normally not the only reason, but a prime reason is because I've shared with them. So mm-hmm. if I provide valuable input into my Twitter stream, people follow me. Uh, what that means is that if I post a question, I have a greater chance of getting an answer mm. than somebody who's not adding value and has like 20 followers. Right? So, but you only get into thousands of followers by giving. Or you can buy the bots and stuff. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll pass on that. I, I, you know, I, I hear there's some Russian companies that uh, that have have them available. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, so that's that's pretty well it. It's uh, it's it's a constant refinement. You never get to perfection, but just mm. being just saying, okay, well, what am I doing to make my to make my network smarter? What am I what am I giving? And again, because you know, I'm most of my work comes through my blog. I gave for free through the blog. And as a result, I get paid work, but it's not a, but it's not a direct relationship. And right. that I think is a real tough thing for people. Like, well, like when will I be ready? When do I get certified? When will I, well, you won't be ever. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a non-direct, non-linear relationship. And I think that's, that's which makes it a tough sell. No, I, I think I couldn't agree more. So uh, being a blogger, so I think what, what I recall from, from the blog, early blogging days, I, I was using it to vent out my my sort of technology rant. I just need mm-hmm. a need a place to vent it out, and I never never cared to sort of get anything back. And I think I, I remember that um, six seven months down when I started blogging, I got a call from one of the world's largest CPG companies saying, "Hey, can you fly to one of our board meetings because we need to have a conversation around one of the data initiatives?" I said, "Really? Do you know who you're talking to?" He said, "Yeah, your name was recommended to us by someone." Blah blah blah. And at that point, I think uh, in in early days, you don't even know who is reading your blog. You just yap it out and just just forget about it. And then the next one goes after a, probably a week. And then I realized that okay, we start getting these gigs and whatever, right? So after the fact, it's it's easy. But when I go to convince someone that hey, you know, instead of doing an MBA, you just start yapping out on the internet and see what people stick to, and then find your voice and find their voice. That would be faster way to learn, but as, as you rightly said, it's, it's a very hard sell uh, to get people to because it's a, like a slingshot approach. That you do something now, and hopefully something will come back. Yeah, it's long. It's well. The problem is, is that uh, yeah, it's long term. Is is mm-hmm. the problem is that the value is long term. So a blog with ten posts really mm-hmm. doesn't have much value. Mm-hmm. My blog, which has what am I at three thousand or something like that, has a lot of value for me and for other people because there's a lot there's lots of stuff there on lots of t- different subjects. So you don't see the value of it uh, uh, at the beginning, and uh, so that 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 uh, of course is the problem, right? Is that uh, is that you, you, mm. you, uh, telling people yes, this will be valuable to you sometime, mm. yeah, but when? Right, so mm. you know, I don't know, um, and, and and it's not and it's non-linear. So it's not like okay, I write ten blog posts and I got one client, mm. right? It's it may be one blog post I wrote mm. five years ago. Somebody reads it and they go, you know, yeah, come and talk to our board uh, about this kind of stuff because we're very interested in it. Mm. Um, so so yeah, that again that 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 makes that makes it difficult. Um, the the other thing with like with PKM um, and and there really are very few few programs that are sort of directly compete with my PKM program because it's tough. It mm. takes work. It takes mm. time. I run a 60-day uh, online workshop and quite often people take it a second time because it's like, yes, it's a, I do it over 60 days because you need time in between mm. you have 18 activities and I can't, I, I'm, I can do an introduction in a, in a one-day workshop, but you're not going to get mastery in, in a day. Mm. It takes time. 
time. It takes work. It takes reflection. And uh, in our sort of busy day-to-day uh, work cycles, people don't want to do that. Interesting. Wow. And so uh, if, if I'm a working professional uh, navigating through this, how would I ensure myself to be sort of employable uh, in, this, in this new age of work um, as I'm heading to it? Like, what would your suggestions be to someone to ensure that I'll, I'm employable or I'm employed? I think that for long-term employability it is, you know, focusing on, on, on what it seems the soft skills so that uh, things that we know are not going to go out. So uh, um, writing well, speaking well, um, getting along with others, uh, you know, empathy, uh, sociability, curiosity is another one. It's uh, always trying some, a, the ability to learn new stuff. So always trying something. New, you know, like a lot of times I'll I'll, I'll, I'll I'll get a new piece of software, something like that, and then learn how to use it and discard it after six months or something. But but the process of learning it is one of those learning skills, right? Is that okay? I can figure these things out uh, fairly quickly. Um, I think that again, if you think about it from a neo generalist perspective, is being a broad mm-hmm. neo generalist, but then also having some deeper skills. So uh, uh, I mean, right now when I I wouldn't look at this as the long term is that being able to code is a is a skill people are looking for. So I was at this recruiting uh, fair in in Portugal and previously uh, in in Berlin and it was interesting because I remember recruiting fairs from way back when is mm. that the as a supply exceeded demand. Mm. And now demand exceeds supply and so that anybody who wanted a job could get one and and it was well, what do what do we want? Okay, AI, machine learning, blockchain, mm. Uh, certain types of, uh, of programming languages. Uh, that's what people were looking for. So if you have any expertise in that field, is that, you know, go for it. And I was talking to people who were recruiting and it was kind of like they're saying, yeah, you know, I can get junior programmers and I can get sort of mid-level, but what I can't get are senior people is that they are, they, that there's a real shortage of senior people. And I think that if you were, again, going down the programming route, is that having that depth of experience, but then also working on your social uh, uh, skills, I think would make, yeah, even by doing things like uh, by blogging, right? Mm. So you, you get known uh, that way. And, 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 then, and then your social network becomes your social safety network. Mm. Interesting. <laughs> That's well said. So what to you, what would be the tenet of a future-proof organization? So what would you think are some of the qualities that um, mm. some organizations could possess to ensure that their half-life is not as predictable as many of their, their competitors? Like, what, what would you suggest? Uh, what would I suggest, because uh, you're a little broken up on, uh, on this end, so, so what, what would I suggest to organizations uh, that they should do to keep themselves? Uh... Yes. So, so what would what would um, what are some of the tenets or some of the qualities uh, that an organization should have to ensure that they are future proof uh, from disruption or at least stay relevant uh, in disruptive times? Well, one of the things that I've recommended is to um, I talk about automation is mm-hmm. to preempt auto- automation is to take a look at any person's work and find out what what what, what is repeatable, how much of the work that they're doing is repeatable, and and automate it before your competitors automate that. And uh, so if anybody's job is, you know, 50% or more repeatable processes is get rid of those, automate those processes, and then get that person working on, on, on higher end, more complex, more creative, more unique type, uh, type, type of work. So, so, so really that's my whole notion of perpetual beta is that whatever work you're doing is going to change. This is only a beta instance before you get into the next beta instance. So thinking about work as not something that is fixed, but something that is constantly moving, and that whole notion of, of constant development. And we, if we look at how people learn for work, is that you know about 10% they learn through formal courses and training and education, about 20% through exposure to new, new ideas, new people, new uh, types of work and things like that, and 70% from the experience of the day-to-day work that they're doing. So if we can, uh, we can help make uh, workplaces, places where people have experience, they have time to reflect on their experience, 
right? which almost never happens. Right? You, a lot of times you get a project that works, and when it's over, everybody goes away. There's a report perhaps that's written, but no one actually spends time talking about, okay, what happened you know, during the process. There's no time for reflection. So putting in time for reflection, if you think about it from a learning perspective, if you think of learning as the, as, as the work, which really it is, then you've got to make time, space, and, uh, and, and there are people who can help facilitate that. So if you have an enterprise social network, you have community managers. Right? You have people who are actually seeing the work that you're doing, that you're talking about in Slack, putting those things together, and perhaps creating an artifact around, here are some current new practices that people are, that people are doing. Right? I don't have time to write all this stuff up, but, but mm-hmm. somebody else in the company can put this together and then disseminate it to everybody else. Interesting. And then um, what about the, what, what's your perspective on the re- reskilling? Um, so I think one of, one of our client, uh, so he put it best. He said, Vishal, I, I was looking for two AI mach, uh, uh, machine vision guys and I, and I have 15,000 IT professionals and I can't get one of those guys, right? And then I know soon they will be obsolete and um, I, we would have really um, thankfully used couple of our folks but they are not trained uh, at the right time and I have to go out looking for those folks and many of this organization that we talk to they almost everyone has the same problem they are overblown on the obsolete technologies and they're not retooling or retraining fast enough and I was talking to one of the fortune uh, again fortune 100 uh, one of their chief of staff guy and he was telling me that Vishal if um, we all have the tendency to be obsolete stats goes out of the out of the window no one cares about stats anymore. Like it's it's a massive problem that we are all are suffering. So, what is your perspective on how businesses could sort of stay themselves um, current when it comes to skills? Like, what 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 would you suggest? Yeah, I, well, I think that companies too often don't have the long view. And uh, if you actually take a look at if you look at it more from how families grow, it's like you know if you have a dysfunctioning two year old, you don't mm. throw them outside. You know, you work and develop them into a better functioning three-year-old and four-year-old mm-hmm. and things like that. And um, companies have had it too easy in terms of, uh, well, we need to hire 10 programmers. Well, we're just going to go out and find 10 programmers because there's, again, the supply and demand thing. Whereas uh, if you look at people as an asset, which they don't, uh, then you look at the investment in them is that, well, how do we invest in our, these people becoming better? So it's um, the, the Nordic country do this quite well because they have a good marriage between business and the, and, 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 the, um, and the government sector. So that when people lose their job, like when Nokia uh, you know, lost thousands and thousands of people, mm. is that the average worker wasn't concerned because they had a couple of years of, um, of, of unemployment insurance. But on top of that is that in a lot of these countries, you can't draw unemployment insurance for more than a short period of time. Mm. Uh, unless you uh, take some more training and you, you upskill as you do that. So that's, again, that, that's between the businesses and the, and, and, and the government. And so that, you know, you have to take a look at that. Is it, you know, again, people are not just some, are not, you know, cogs that you buy. You really, you know, it's, it's, it should be seen as, a, as an investment. And if that person has the right attributes, the right uh, attitude and things like that, and if they don't have the skills, well, wouldn't it be better to retrain that person in those skills than try mm-hmm. to then hire somebody who's got the skills but doesn't have the company culture? Right? And and again, I think then that's a problem with HR because HR, I think, too often sees, okay, we have a job and we have to fill a job. No, mm-hmm. you have a person and you have to have a relationship with them. And that's what it is. And that relationship may change over time. And if you think about that, is that you know, even in the long term, is that people may go, be, may go to another company. But if they, you have that long-term relationship with them, now the person in the their company becomes a link in the social network of that, that company and that maybe they become a client later maybe they come back and do a, a job maybe you know the, the, again thinking about the different types of relationships that people can have and not think about so go away from the from the mechanistic view of people filling a job to the sort of the, the biological view of this is a relationship amongst complex human beings and that kind of relationship is going to have multiple valences, not just I'm doing some work and you're paying me. Interesting. And I think um, very fair point. And I think um, so we were sort of uh, investigating something around the same concept. Uh, and we did uh, 
along this idea of retooling. And then one of the sort of our way to measure that was any candidate talking to a company, if they get a perspective of, hey, how would company ensure that I'm at the top of my game? I'm sort of, I'm, I'm always the current and I'm actually using uh, world's best, best technologies and, and methodologies. And we did, we did our own sort of market research through our network and we asked folks, hey, how many of you actually, when you go to an interview, ask for, hey, how would you ensure that I will be employable beyond you? Right? So how would you invest in me as I'm investing in you and sort of we both have, because I think one of the, one of the nightmare scenario is an obsolete employee, right? And, and working and, and not getting noticed. So how would company ensure? And, and to, not to our surprise, actually, we expected that. So we realized about 97% of uh, folks that we survey said they, they don't go there. They don't, go, they don't talk about the future beyond company. They just talk about, hey, what challenges you have, what challenges I need, and is, is, is the marriage going to happen? And, and almost 80% of those said, hey, I want to. We want to ask that question. Like now I know. I should, because that's the most important criteria going forward. So, and I think well said on your side that, yeah, that's, that's, that's a, that's, that's a massive problem that, that needs, needs reshaping. So now let's talk about some of the opportunities uh, in, in, in the marketplace. Like from your vantage point, what are some of the big opportunities that, that exist uh, in, in HR space that someone, um, that HR should keep make be made aware of. Like, what are some of the big opportunities that exist? Um, well, uh, yeah. So I, I I mentioned about you know it, the the demise of HR. I I think that uh, the opportunity is that if you take a look at how HR works or OD organizational development hmm. or communications or training or learning and development. You take a look at all of these sort of people-focused uh, departments, divisions, and disciplines. Is that they're all looking at the same problem but from a different perspective. Mm -hmm. So I think that where if if an HR individual or an HR organization or department and organization wants to remain credible, is that they need to become more neo-generalist. They need mm -hmm. to be. They need to understand knowledge management. They need to understand learning and development. They need to understand social networks, community management, all those kinds of things because really as more and more of the repeatable stuff gets automated mm. right there's going to be less in each one of these fields to do and i see um, a, you know, a, f a future merging of, of all those fields and you take a look at some of some of these uh, distributed companies like uh, automatic which uh, owns mm. wordpress and, and these other ones and uh, they don't some of, some of them don't even have an hr department mm. Or if they do, they have one person, right, for the whole company that sort of handles that mm -hmm. that, that type of stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, uh, diversify would be, uh, I, I think, is the big opportunity. And so, that, uh, because I mean, I work in you know, human performance technology, knowledge management, e-learning, uh, performance support. It sort of goes on and on, HR, etc. And there's a lot of stuff that's the same, but they but these tribes don't talk to each other. So get mm -hmm. out of your tribe and take a look at how you can support the business and understand the business the best. Interesting. Interesting. Um, beautiful. Well said. And now we're at, at the tail end of, of the conversation and I want to spend some time um, on your journey. So I think um, if, if you need to attribute some uh, um, your journey and, and some of the qualities that has helped you stay sane and successful throughout um, what would you attribute those qualities? Like, what are some of the qualities that has really helped you shape the way you are? Like, if you can, if you can share that. Well, well, the blog definitely. I mean, it was. I wouldn't be anywhere without the blog. And uh, one thing about the blog is that I'm a much better writer. I never thought mm -hmm. of myself as a writer. Uh, I started blogging. Um, I mean, if you if you actually read my my master's thesis from 20 years ago, it's it's awful. <laughs> And uh, so, uh, so through the blog, I was able to, able to connect, and I was able to become a better communicator, uh, which I think, uh, and and then, you know, uh, then the speaking engagements and and th those skills refined uh, a lot as well. So uh, that the, that that part of the journey definitely is uh, has was the core the core part of it was just becoming a better connector, and also because I was reading 
more perspectives and connecting with more people is that I was getting more diversity of opinion uh, and perspectives uh, from people uh, going along. And so, and so the number of people who have, um, uh, who have influenced me. And then, there, and again, there's things like, you know, you know, complexity theory, which I'm not, I'm not an expert mm-hmm. in or anything like that, but I realized that that was an important thing for, for me to understand. So I had to delve into it a little bit. I'm delving a little bit more into AI right now. Mm. Um, though, even though we know it's not AI, it's machine learning or whatever, mm. that, uh, as my mm. AI experts tell me. And so, and, 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 and I've been able to connect with people who have deep expertise like I, I belong in one community of practice where there's about 20, 15 or 20 people and it's invitation only. We're all interested in, in work, changing the nature of work. And mm. uh, one of the members of, of that group is Valdis Krebs. And Valdis is pretty well the world expert on social network analysis. So if I want to know anything about social network analysis, I just talk to Valdis, right? Because he's the guy. Mm. Uh, and so again, I, connecting to people who are really who have a really good depth of knowledge in in certain areas. And if nothing else, I can say, look, all this, I'm interested in this aspect of social network analysis. Where do I start? You'll say, mm-hmm. right, read this, check this out, go there. Okay, so that's just saved me a huge amount of time right there. And and I think that that's, uh, so I mean, one of my clients worked with him for almost two years. And at the end, they wrote up a little blurb, um, you know, on, on the project. They said, you know, Harold was great. Mm-hmm. But the best thing about Harold, was the network that he brought to bear because mm. many times we would have a problem i say let me check the network and see what i can find and you know connect with you <laughs> or i know somebody because i can't i can't answer all the questions mm. right you're only as smart or as good as your network and so they were they were really impressed with that and that's a question that hr mm. never asked is that who's your who's your network mm. who do you know because that's going to make a huge difference that's a that's a very good point i think it's a very fair point so um Let's talk about some of your favorite reads, uh, some of the books that, that you would uh, recommend and suggest to our listeners and viewers. Like, What would those be? Okay, first of all, is that uh, because people ask this question, is that if you go on my, uh, on my, on my website and you search the category books, is that mm. you'll see I've written over uh, over a hundred book reviews. Um, but so that so when when I saw the question come, I said, okay, well, I, I know what that is. Um, so this summer, I've actually gone to reading a little bit of some more fiction. I read most about ninety percent nonfiction, and uh, and it was uh, most of the fiction I read is science fiction. That really mm. interests me. And there's uh, there's one of the quotes that I put on the blog post from a fellow by the name of Elliot Pepper. I don't know he's a writer, I think, and he says science fiction isn't useful. Because because it's predictive, it's useful because it reframes our perspective on the world. Mm. Like international travel or meditation, it creates space for us to question our assumptions. Mm. And that, and that, 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 so the, the, I just finished a trilogy uh, by a writer whose name is Chichin Liu, um, which is, uh, you know, uh, I can send it to me or send you the link. Anyway, he wrote a trilogy called, uh, it's called the Three Body Problem Trilogy. Mm. And um, so it was written in Chinese or Originally, it got translated several years ago. Uh, each book is about 500 pages. And it's a really fascinating read with lots of depth in explaining physics and uh, you know quantum mechanics. And, and basically, it's about an alien civilization that discovers uh, uh, the Earth. And uh, let's just say it doesn't go well. <laughs> and uh, but but it but it was my, my son bought me the first the first book and I read it. He said, "Dad, I think you're going to like this." Mm-hmm. And, and and I but I did just I love that one. So so yeah, I find that dipping into something not related to my work at all is mm-hmm. uh, is nice and refreshing from time to time. Um, we we talked about work a bit, and uh, I had read uh, a few years back. Uh, Frederick Leloux wrote a book called Reinventing Organizations and has created a movement around the world called the Teal Organization. And uh, and then last year, uh, I um, I came across another book called Freedom, Inc. Uh, mm. by, uh, I'll have to look at the, the, the names on that, Getz, I think. Yeah, Carney and Getz wrote it. They wrote it in 2009. And I think it's a much better book than than, than, than Reinventing Organizations. And it takes a look at how do you build a liberated organization? And they um, and, and and they they interview. They go into depth about about ten different companies, and they take a look at some of the similarities and, and things. It, it, it's not a prescriptive solution, but it really shows you how and, and, and in different ways because each case is different, and and how you can sort of liberate the energy, the freedom, the creativity of of people in in the company. And so, so that's it. Freedom Inc. is definitely one that I would uh, that I would recommend. Interesting. 
Awesome. So now we're at the last question, and and and, and again, Harold, uh, uh, thank you so much for being really generous with your time and and helping us understand this landscape and and really um, being uh, candid about your perspective and really helpful. So now, if you want our listeners and viewers to take away something from this conversation, like what would that be? What would be your closing remark uh, for our listeners and viewers? Well, uh, you know, I mean, it's it's a bit trite when people say that you know. Uh, uh, the jobs uh, that people are going to be doing in five years, half of them don't exist today or anything. That's been going on mm. forever. You know, jo mm. jobs have changed all the time from, through generations. The big one is about uh, is about learning, mm. and is about um, uh, your network. Is that your long term social safety net is going to be the people that you know or are connected to? That's how you're mm. going to find work. That's how you're going to connect with others. You're going to get new ideas and things like that. So if you don't have a diverse professional social network, you're, you, you're not helping your company. You're not helping yourself. And if you do lose your job or your employment, you're, it's going to be much more difficult for you to, uh, to, to do anything. And if you go at it from a perspective of, of, of learning, like what can I learn from my network and who can I learn from and how can I give back to the network? You know, so it's, it's mm -hmm. that connecting of, of curiosity. Stay curious, you know, keep learning. And, um, and, and the people who do that well, I find uh, they're not worried about, you know, their next job or the next mm. gig. Awesome. With that, um, thank you so much, Harold, um, for, again, you, for, for your time. And you're always welcome back on the podcast um, and hope to get you back learning more about things from you. You have definitely have lot of insights for for our listeners and viewers um, and i do appreciate that and whenever you're in boston let me know uh, we'll catch up over a beer or coffee whatever so thank you so I, much i love boston yes i have to get down there sometime <laughs> and next time <laughs> you're in new brunswick tell me I, absolutely uh it's on my list okay. now so thank you so much okay I would have to grow up so quick I'm so uncomfortable Don't know anybody here Just a couple dudes that I met once That's it And I go into the booth feeling nervous Got butterflies in my stomach Like I'm so worthless Is the mic gone? I don't know how to work this Inside I'm breaking down I hope I'm not up on this